All right. Well, it's great. It's great to be back with you. If you have a Bible, go with me to Proverbs 22, verse 6. We're in Proverbs 22, verse 6 here in just a second. I am thankful every time I get to come here. Wonderful church. Just so grateful uh, for your witness in the community. And I'm grateful for Pastor Jimmy and just getting to know him and develop a friendship. I'm even more thankful for Robin. Um, she is a gift to our students at Carson Newman. I know you guys know that and does such a great uh, great job. So I'm, I'm thankful to be with you this morning. We're going to be looking at a verse that probably most of you in this room are familiar with um, and that you know, but talking about what um, what's going on here. And, and here's, here's what I want to kind of address this morning. So Christian, Christian parents, um, as our children get older, uh, I'm, I'm now at the age where my, I have a, my oldest is a senior, um, and so as children begin to get older into their teenage years and then even older into adult years, um, I know there's all kinds of different families uh, represented here, but as children begin to make bigger decisions and uh, habits and lifestyle and, and those kinds of things begin to, to kind of be set where you're you're starting to kind of drift out of more of the day-to-day uh, engagement with your children, and they're starting to make their own decisions and live their own life, have their own responsibility, and all of those things. One of the great heartaches for Christian parents is when your children start to make decisions that you don't agree with or start to live lives that you don't agree with, and that comes with quite a bit of heartache and pain and and prayer and wrestling and and those kinds of things, and and one of the one of the big, like, kind of pain points is that sh- that Christian parents begin to ask questions like like when their kids are making decisions they don't agree with, or they're not walking with the Lord, um, or they're involved in some kind of lifestyle that they don't agree with, they start to ask the question, "Where did we go wrong? What did we? How could we have avoided this? Is there more we could have done? Is there less we should have done? Could we have changed up the way that we?" parented our kids, and, and what did we do to contribute to this? And so there's, there's quite a bit of heartache and guilt uh, that, that comes with that. And a lot of that, I think, stems from uh, this, this verse here in Proverbs 22. So let me read it to us, and then let's kind of talk through what it's about. Proverbs 22, verse 6, this is what God's Word says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, this this verse has caused quite a bit of heartache for Christian parents because it seems like a promise that if you raise your kids right, then they will live right when they're older. It seems like pretty logical, pretty clear, right? You train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. So the idea is, if my teenage or adult children are living right and walking with the Lord, then it's obviously because what? I trained them right. And if they're not living right or walking with the Lord, then why is that? Because I didn't train them right. So that, the, the logic seems pretty clear cut. And so added to the heartache of just watching your children make decisions that are hurting them or you think are self-destructive that you don't agree with, added to that heartache of just the pain of seeing your children not live the life that you think God has for them, 
is the added guilt that somehow God is the one who's condemning your parenting and that God says that you did something wrong. And so this verse has caused quite a bit of grief. Now, what I want to ask is, is that really what Proverbs 22.6 teaches? Is that really the logic of this verse? Now, some people look at this interpretation and then look at the experience of Christian parents and they see that tension. And so they try to provide solutions, pastoral solutions to try to minimize the heartache that parents feel and to, to try to kind of fix the problem. And one of the main solutions that is proposed is to say, well, the book of Proverbs is not giving us promises. It's only giving us kind of general principles that are true most of the time, but they're not always true. Okay, so that's, that's kind of one of the, the ways that people try to uh, fix this. They say, well, these are just really general rules of thumb. Generally speaking, if you live life this way, then this is going to be the result, but that's not always the case. These aren't promises. So can we fix this problem and ease our consciences by saying, well, that's not what the book of Proverbs is doing. I, I don't know. I've, I find that approach to Proverbs problematic. For example, it's like, you know, um, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and sometimes He'll direct your paths. Right? No, I mean, that's not... And so I think, I think the best way to approach the book of Proverbs is to say that the book of Proverbs, these are promises, and the promises are generally true immediately, but they are always ultimately true. So, so even if in the short term you're, you're following the wisdom of the book of Proverbs and it's not working out the way that you think it should or the way that Proverbs says that it will, keep doing it and in the long run it's going to work out. You can bank on what the book of Proverbs teaches, okay? You can, you can bank on these. These are promises, okay? So if, so if this is a promise, then what do we do now? Well, I think there's a different way to understand um, this verse. And the different way to understand this verse is it's, it's the reverse of a promise, okay? It's, it's, like, it's like the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin of a promise is what? A warning. It's a warning. What Proverbs 22.6 actually is, is a warning to parents that you have to engage in your children's lives, that you have to correct and if you don't, then it's going to have disastrous consequences. A warning about not correcting your kids. So let me give you the, the summary of what the verse actually means, and then, I'll, and then I'll explain how we can come to that understanding. Here's what the verse means. If you let your kids have their way, they'll expect to always get their way, and they will struggle in life. If you let your kids have their way, they'll expect to always get their way, and they will struggle in life. And let's, let's break this down. The English translation that we just read, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So the English translation is either, depending on your translation, train up a child in the way he should go or train up, train up a child in the right way. Okay, that's what we have in our English translations. But the English translation is adding words that are not in the Hebrew, okay? Now, they're doing it because they're, they're making an interpretation. Uh, the English translations are making interpretation, so they're adding this word, but it's not actually in the Hebrew. English adds in the right way 
or the way that he should go, but right or should is not actually in the Hebrew. The Hebrew translation is train up a child in his way. That's the literal translation. So English is adding the qualifier right or should, but that's not actually in the Hebrew manuscripts. And so they're, they're adding it. And, and my contention this morning is it's better for us to let the text stand as it is written in Hebrew because this translation, tra train him in the right way, the way he should go when he's old will not depart from it. This translation that puts the blame for the son on the parents does not fit with the message of the book of Proverbs. Okay, it doesn't. This, this blame, like you can read the book of Proverbs and over and over again, Solomon is, is instructing his son, my son, listen to me. My son, do this. My son, don't ignore me. My son, hear this. Over and over and over again, he's, he's pleading with his son to listen to him. But who is the one who is accountable for how the son acts in the book of Proverbs? The son. Like there's, there, there's no, like it may be in our culture is like this right now, where if you don't turn out right or do, do something right or whatever, well, that's my parents' fault. They didn't love me enough or they loved me too much or they didn't discipline me enough or they disciplined me too much. And it's like, I'm, I'm the victim and somebody did something to me or didn't do something to me. And so I'm a victim. And so I can't really be blamed for what I'm doing. The book of Proverbs will have none of that. The book of Proverbs says, you are accountable for your own wise decisions or your own foolish decisions. Okay, you, you are responsible. You are accountable for the decisions that you make. And so there's, there's no, no blaming the parents. The parents have a role and we, we have things that we are to do according to the book of Proverbs. But every person is accountable for their own actions. Okay, so I think it's better to let the text stand. So if we, if we take the Hebrew, then what does it mean to train a child in his way. Okay, what, is it, what does that mean? Scholars give two potential interpretations. The first is, is kind of like that you're going to need to parent every child differently. And the second is what I would call a sarcastic uh, interpretation. Let me, let me go through those in order. So to train a child in his way, some scholars say that means that you train a child according to his nature. So if you are a parent and you have multiple children, you recognize that your children are different, right? And, and that there are certain things that work with one that may not work with the other, and that you have to become a student of your, of your children and learn, if I, want to, if I want to empower them to make the right kind of decisions, to live the right kind of life, then, then I've got to learn to parent them according to their nature and according to, to what works best for them, Right? And so you, so you as a parent are, are called to become an expert on your children, a learner for the entirety of their life and figure out, okay, how do I parent this child the best that I can? So for, for, for us, um, for example, my oldest daughter, um, when we needed to correct her or discipline her, like words, if we said something to her, she would immediately burst into tears and it would correct the behavior. The younger two, not so much, okay? We had to take a different, a different angle on that, all right? And so, so that's what some people say is that train a child according to his nature. And that is, a, that is a plausible interpretation. I don't think it's the, I think it's, and regardless, I think it's helpful advice, all right? Parents, we should become experts on our children. 
But I don't think it's the best fit with what the book of Proverbs says because the book of Proverbs says that our nature is broken and that the task of parenting is to step into that situation and correct the broken nature, okay? So for example, the Bible says in Proverbs 20 verse 9, this is a a rhetorical question that expects a negative answer. Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? Answer, nobody. We're all sinners. We all are broken in terms of our nature. The book of Proverbs describes it over and over again like this, that we have folly in our heart. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, uh, the, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. And so the task of parenting is to come in and to correct that behavior, not to, not to, to go with the child's nature, but to correct the child's nature. Bruce Waltke, a famous scholar on the book of Proverbs, says, in the six other references to the youth, uh, there's six other references to the youth that portray his way as foolish. Okay, this is chapter 1, chapter 7, chapter 22, chapter 23, chapter 29, over and over again. Young people are described as being foolish. And so there's a clear warning in the book of Proverbs, despite what Disney says, that you shouldn't follow your own heart, right? That there, there's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end it leads to what? Death, okay? And so we, so we, shouldn't, we shouldn't allow our children to go through the entirety of their life thinking that the way that they think things are and the way that they think things should be and the way that they should live their life is going to bring them flourishing health, joy, and happiness. Okay, it's not. We are, we are given to, uh, youth are given to parents so that we can correct that, so we can correct the brokenness. And so I see that the best option here is the sarcastic option. When he says, train a child in his way, he's saying, let a child have his way when he's younger, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. He'll, he'll insist on having his way when he's older. If you, if you, if you, allow, if you instill this, when they're younger, then when they get older, that's, what they're, that's how they're going to live, and they're not going to be productive, productive citizens. And so if you let your kids have their way, they'll expect to always get their way, and they'll struggle in life. And so it's a warning to parents, correct this foolish behavior in the life of your children before that character is set in as an adult. That's, that's what we are called to. There's two other verses in Proverbs that help us see that that's what's going on. Listen to what the Bible says. In Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, I already made mention of it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Okay? So discipline is what drives out foolishness. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 29 and verse 15. This is what the Bible says. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So the Proverbs is clear. Parents, you are, you are given children as a stewardship, and one of the ways that you steward that gift is by disciplining your children. And he gives two specific ways. And the, and the discipline or the correction, it, it, it is needed, and it changes over time. So, he, so he's mentioned twice here the rod, okay, spanking. Now, that, if that upsets you or offends you, I didn't say it. So you can email King Solomon <laughs> and tell him, I don't like this. I think it's out of date and whatever, then just, just do that, okay? That's fine. But, but I, think, I think the Bible is clear that when children are young, you can reason with them all you want, but they're not necessarily going to get it. 
Now it changes. He says, he says the rod and what? The reproof. So, so verbal correction, especially as your kids get older, um, that you, you would see that shift in the first century with, with like for Jewish families, when does a Jewish boy become a man? 13. Do you think his dad's spanking him when he's 13? Probably not. He's like, you're, you're a man now, but he's, 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 not, he's not disengaged from still holding his son accountable. He's not disengaged from still correcting things that he sees as foolish, but now it's become more reproof than it is the rod. So it changes over time. So when, you're, when your children are young, you have a responsibility to, to correct that behavior. Now, when I say young, let me be clear. I mean young in terms of like where they know what they're doing is wrong. Okay, so I, you know, as a pastor before, all the time would counsel with young couples, and it was, it was amazing, like, um, I had this one young couple come to me, and they brought their baby with them. They, they were, um, which is great, they, they were young married, like 19, 20 years old, um, and had been married for eight months, and they were having issues, uh, because they weren't getting to go on as many dates as they had before. And I was like... Yeah, and they had, and they they had had a they had like a had a baby, and um, I was like, yeah, you're probably not going to get to go as many dates as you did when you were single, you know, when y'all were dating, okay? But then they they told me that they were they were spanking the baby when he would fight when they were trying to put his diaper on, and I'm like, I yeah, man, I I don't want to tell you how to parent your kid, but I'd probably hold off on that. Um, it's not like he's trying to be obstinate or rebellious. He just doesn't know what's going on. Like, wait until he understands, don't, before you correct that behavior for not doing what you asked. Okay, so I'm not saying spank the babies, but when children are younger, again, you can reason with them. Sometimes it doesn't work. And so lovingly, never in anger, but um, that's, what the, that's what the Bible says. And then as they get older, you rebuke, you confront, you correct, you hold accountable, you restrict Okay, uh, because we know that the truth is we are responsible for doing this correction because every parent knows this. Kids do not have to be taught to do wrong. They're very creative and good at that. But they do have to be taught to do right. Remember the story? I, I was told this story when I was younger. Um, I don't remember it myself, and you'll, you'll see why here in just a second. But um, I have a twin brother, as Pastor Jimmy mentioned. And when we were younger, my parents were going out on a date, and so the babysitter, the babysitter came to the house, and um, and so they're so we're in our our room playing, and we're being like boys, we're being really loud, uh, and my parents are giving the final instructions to the babysitter, and th- at that time, like there's no cell phones or whatever, it's like, hey, if there's a problem, I guess you can try to call the restaurant. I don't know. I mean, just do the best you can. We'll be home in a little bit. Um, that was babysitting back in the '80s, um, but. So, it, so we're starting to get louder and louder, and I'm screaming from the, from the bedroom, and she's like, are, are they okay? And, and my parents are like, they play like that all the time. I wouldn't even worry about it. And so she like sits down on the couch or whatever, and I just keep screaming from the back room, and she's finally like, I guess I should go check on that. She comes in the room, and my brother Nathan, we had a, we had a, a toy box, okay? So it was like a, like a chest, like a bench, like with the top over and all our toys in it. And my brother Nathan had stuck my head in the toy box had the lid down, and he was sitting on top of it. Um, now, I, I, I apparently, like, I had taken a toy from him or something, or I was playing with something that he wanted to play with. 
But, but here, here's, the, here's the thing. Do you think that my dad ever pulled Nathan aside and was like, hey, listen, if John doesn't let you play with the toys that you want to play with, then I'll tell you what you should do. <laughs> Stick his head in that toy box and sit on it, and you'll teach him a lesson. Like, no, no nobody taught him that. He, he, he never saw that behavior from my parents, right? So, so it was just something that kids don't have to be taught to do wrong. Kids have to be taught to do right. There has to be correction. They need to be shown what's right. Um, and if we don't do that, I, one of the movies that I loved when I was a kid, I get, everything's being remade, so they're making... Uh, there's a new one out, I guess, but was Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. And if you remember, there was the one girl who was there named Veruca Salt who got everything that she ever wanted. I want it now, right? And what does that do? If, if you give your children everything that they've ever wanted, you're going to create adults that are annoying and nobody wants to be around and that can't hold a job because they are entitled little brats who were never told to be responsible, who were never held accountable and you have to do that you can't parents you can't solve you can't helicopter over your children and solve every little problem that they have you've got to teach them you've got to correct them you've got to teach them responsibility you've got to teach them to stand on their own two feet i told about an article recently this is this is insane okay article recently said there's a t- statistic that came out that among gen z um, adults these are like folks that we're teaching at carson newman uh, Gen Z, among Gen Z adults, this is 19%, so one in five, 19% of Gen Z adults take a parent with them on their job interviews. Now, the article doesn't say whether that affects them getting the job or not, <laughs> but 19%. Now, you say, man, how can those, how can those young people do that? I blame the parents. Where the parents are like, ain't no way I'm going on that job interview with you. <laughs> yeah, like, I'll teach you how to tie a tie. Like, yeah, I'll teach you how to say yes, sir, and no, ma'am. I'll teach you how to, how to do a job interview. I'll, like, I'll do everything I can to prepare you ahead of time, but you've got to do that yourself. Like, and, and, and so this is just this, this idea that we're just going to hover over. Like, we deal with this all the time at Carson Newman, I've been telling you. Like parents are some of the hard, like parents are way harder to deal with oftentimes than the students themselves. The parents, you got to correct, you got to hold accountable, you got to teach responsibility for it, your actions. Um, that that's why we've been entrusted with these children so that they can grow up to be adults who stand on their own two feet. And if we don't do that, then we're gonna we're gonna cause a lot of heartache. There's there's an article that came out in the Atlantic a couple of years ago. That gets that illustrates this perfectly. The, the, the title of the story by Lori Gottlieb was How to Land Your Kid in Therapy. Okay, it was the, the title of the article. And one of the, 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 the small sections in there I, I thought was very poignant. Uh, this is what it says. Another teacher I spoke with, a 58-year-old mother of grown children who has been teaching kindergarten for 17 years, told me she feels that parents are increasingly getting in the way of their children's development. I see the way that their parents treat them, she said, and there's a big adjustment when they get into my class. It's good for them to realize that they aren't the center of the world, that sometimes other people's feelings matter more than theirs at a particular moment. 
but it only helps if they're getting the same limit setting at home. If not, they become impulsive because they're not thinking about anybody else. This same teacher, listen to this, who asks not to be identified for fear of losing her job, says she sees many parents who think they're setting limits when actually they're just being wishy-washy. A kid will say, can we get ice cream on the way home? And the parent will say, no, it's not our day. Ice cream day is Friday. Then the child will push and negotiate, and the parent, who probably thinks negotiating is honoring her child's opinion, will say, fine, we'll get ice cream today, but don't ask me tomorrow because the answer is no. Teacher laughed. Every year parents come to me and say, why won't my child listen to me? Why won't she take no for an answer? And I reply, your child won't take no for an answer because the answer is never no. Parents, we have to be able to say no to our kids. Not everything that they want to do is good for them. And so God has put you in their life to engage, to hold accountable, to say no, to say whoa when they're going in the wrong direction. Like you, you, you have to be able to do that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't allow your children to get their way all the time. You shouldn't let teenagers be alone and have screen time all alone by themselves. Like you have to be able to step in, add boundaries, okay? And, and boundaries is, is a good way to think about this because boundaries like the boundaries on like a football field, there can be a lot of playing room in the middle, but there's clear like you're not going to step outside of this. As you teach them responsibility in the middle, but you're not going to step outside of this. And if you do, there's going to be consequences. And our children, they need that. They, they need those kinds of boundaries. There's another thing that I saw a couple years ago uh, that I thought really got at this. And it was, it was put out by the Houston Police Department. They put out a memo entitled, How to Raise a Delinquent. Uh, and here's their, their steps for raising a delinquent. Number one. Begin with infancy to give the child everything he wants. In this way, he will grow to believe the world owes him a living. When she picks up bad words, laugh at her. This will make her think she's cute. It will also encourage her to pick up cuter phrases that will make you even angrier later. Never give him any spiritual training. Wait until he's 21 and then let him decide for himself. Avoid use of the word wrong it may develop a guilt complex. This will condition her to believe later when she is arrested for stealing a car that society is against her and she is being persecuted. Pick up everything he leaves lying around, books, shoes, clothes. Do everything for him so that he will be expecting, him, expecting it. Let her read any printed material or anything on her phone that she can get her hands on. Be careful that the silverware and the drinking glasses are sterilized, but let her mind feast on garbage. Give a child all the spending money he wants. Never let him earn his own. Why should he have things as tough as you had them? Satisfy his every craving for food and drink and comfort. See that every sensual desire is gratified. Denial may lead to harmful frustration. Take her side against neighbors, teachers, policemen, they're all prejudiced against your child anyways. When he gets into trouble, apologize for yourself by saying, I never could do anything with him. And then the last, prepare for a life of grief because you're likely to have it. 
The Bible says that if we love our children, we will discipline them. We will hold them accountable. And again, listen, I, I understand that's not easy. Please hear me. I'm, I'm a parent. I'm an, I am an imperfect parent, very imperfect parent. And it's not easy. And I, you know, I always, when I was a child, I thought to myself, I'm not going to say some of the things that my parents said. I don't know if this happened to you, but then you end up saying them. And one of the ones that I loved when I was a kid, I thought that's the biggest lie I've ever heard in my life was this hurts me more than it hurts you. <laughs> you ever heard that one? It's true. I mean, it, you know, now not physically, but just like as a parent, you, you don't, I, we, I try to tell my son this all the time. I'm not against you. Like, I, I want what's best for you. I'm not trying to ruin your fun here. Like, I know you think that I'm telling you these things, but I, I love you. I don't want to hurt you. But if you love your children, you'll discipline them. I, my dad tells a story when he was um, a teenager. Um, he was out to eat with some some friends, with a bunch of teenage guys out to eat. And somehow the topic of curfew came up. And um, so these guys are all talking about when their curfew is. And they're, they're trying to be macho in front of their friends. And so they're like, well, my, my curfew is 1130, but I can really come home anytime I want. You know, my dad's like, well, my, my curfew is at midnight, but my old man doesn't tell me what to do. And he's, he's like, he, he, he actually does tell me what to do. But um, and so they're all saying that. And then, and then one of the guys at the table said, well, I, I don't have a curfew. And they were like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like your, your parents must be the coolest people in the world. They were just so jealous. And then he, he said something. My, my dad said, I didn't really notice it until years later, but his expression changed. And he said, my dad doesn't care if I ever come home. So your, your kids need loving correction. They need boundaries. They need to be told no. They need to know that you care enough to engage and to try to point them in the right direction. And ultimately what the book of Proverbs says that your children need is they need the good news of Jesus Christ. Because here's the bottom line. We're not trying, our role as parents is not simply to modify the behavior to the point that we create self-righteous Pharisees who are no fun to be around. Or we create these people who can't wait to get out from under our threats and our bribes so they can live life the way that they want to live life. What are we trying to get? We're trying to change the heart. We're trying to get buy-in. We're trying to get things to the point where when they're on their own, living their own life, they can walk with the Lord and make the right kinds of decisions. That's what we want. We want transformation. And that's going to require, when we do discipline, that we have a gospel conversation with our children. That's what the Bible says. The, the book of Proverbs says that discipline, correction, accountability is actually a matter of evangelism and discipleship for your children. You're, you're, when you discipline, it's not just that you're trying to, to, to correct or tweak an immediate behavior, but you're looking to eternity and trying to save your, child, your child's life. That's what the Bible says. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 23, uh, verses 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. This is a matter of life and death, of eternity. Disciplining your children, having a gospel. Here's what, here's what we do when we, when we discipline our children. We're, we're reinforcing some things, especially if we're teaching them. It's not just, it's not just you know, spanking or just 
you know, put in timeout or, you know, grounding or whatever. Like, if you are teaching your children, here's why we're doing this. What you're teaching them with discipline is this. There is a standard. You've fallen short of that standard. And so you need a Savior. That's, that's what you're teaching them. There's a standard. We have a standard in this house. Even more than that, God has a standard. You've fallen short of that standard. And so because of that, you, you will be held accountable by us and by God. And because of that, you need a Savior. And so when you're disciplining, have a gospel conversation. Here's what I've tried to do with my children. You can work this out, however, uh, with yours. Um, but the way that this works with my children is when I, like, spank my son, I try to have a gospel conversation with him. So one I try to do is to secure a confession. Hey, hey buddy, why is this happening? Well, because I hit my sister. Yeah, that's right. It's not, we, we don't treat people like that. That's wrong. It's a sin. So I secure the confession. Then I assure him that my love for him and God's love for him is not going to change because of how he's behaved. Hey, buddy, I want you to know I love you. And no matter what you do, I'm never going to stop loving you. And even more than that, God loves you. And no matter what you do, God's never going to stop loving you. So I, I get him to confess, Christian life, confess your sin. I acknowledge God's love for him. And then I acknowledge my own sin. You know what, son? When I was your age, I used to fight with my brothers too. I hit them. I treated them in ways I shouldn't have treated them. I'm a sinner just like you. I need as much love and forgiveness and grace from God as you do. And then I will do the discipline, and then I'll hug him and say, love you, buddy. Go play. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to help him understand that, yes, there's a standard. Yes, you're going to be held accountable. But we're all sinners, and we all need the grace of God in Jesus Christ because I want transformation. I don't want him just... I don't, I don't want him to go through the rest of his life just not hitting his sister, but wanting to on the inside and not having real transformation that takes place. And so we need, we need the gospel. And I just want to just, I'll close with this. If you're, if, you're, if you're here and you, maybe you're older, your children are older, and you would say, man, I've, I've blown it. I've, I've messed things up. I don't really have a great relationship with my children. I don't even know where I would go from here. I want to tell you this. Yes, you can't go back and change the past, but the good news of the gospel is there's still, there is hope for you. The Bible says that God can restore the years that the locust has eaten. And so I just want to plead with you to just go have a gospel conversation with your children. Sit down with your children and say, listen, I, I, want, to, I want to confess to you that I did not parent you the way that I should. That, that I sinned against you in all kinds of ways. Don't make any excuses for that. Don't say, well, but it was because of this or because of that. Just, I sinned against you. I didn't parent you the way that I should. And I want you to know I'm really sorry. And I want you to forgive me. And I know you're going to have to probably work through that. And I know that may not come immediately. But I want you to know that I'm sorry and I want you to forgive me. I want you to know I've confessed this to the Lord. The Lord has forgiven me. I hope one day you'll forgive me and that we can be reconciled the same way I'm reconciled with God. But I want you to know I'm never going to give up on this. I'm going to keep pursuing reconciliation with you because I love you that much. And it does, you can't go back and fix the past and you can't go back and untangle all the things, all the knots that have been put in your family history. But from this point forward, the grace of God is sufficient to give you a brand new start and to try to pursue something different in the future.
It doesn't matter if your kids are in their 60s. This can happen through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to stand and sing and, and praise the Lord for His grace and His mercy and for the fact that we get brand new starts in Jesus.